Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Welcome to Green Street, a project of grassroots environmental education. I'm your host, Doug Wood, here with my co-host, Patty Wood. And on this edition of Green Street, we're going to be talking about autism and the growing science linking environmental toxins to this puzzling and heartbreaking condition. Award-winning journalist Britta Belli is the editor of E! The Environmental Magazine, an independent magazine dedicated to green issues. Her articles have appeared in a wide range of national magazines, and she has appeared on numerous TV programs as an eco-expert. She maintains a blog on autism and the environment at www.autismandtoxins.com, and she's the author of The Autism Puzzle, a new book about the relationship between environmental toxins and autism. Here's our interview with Britta Belli. How did you actually happen to get onto this issue of the relationship between autism and environmental toxins? Well, I'm the editor of E, the environmental magazine. So, you know, we were particularly interested in the environmental connection um, and, and the new research that's been coming out that's been really looking at the environmental connection with rising autism rates. And there's, you know, just evidence just continually mounting. Um, so it started really as a story that I wrote for E Magazine. And um, and then the publisher approached me and said, you know, we are really looking to, to do a book on this topic. You know, would you be interested? And I was. Um, and there was so much more out there that really, I think, you know, needed to be said on um, on this issue. And, you know, and as I said, it's just, it's it's one of these topics where um, the research is very new and there's, it's, you know, seems to be something new coming out every week. Right. Well, you know, those parents um, who have children with autism are desperately uh, wanting some answers, uh, not only for how they can help their children, but also how it can be avoided in, in a child that they may have. Yeah, a future child. You know, in the future. Yeah. So you actually wrote that the idea that a toxin can cause autism is neither controversial nor speculative. And yet there seems to be so much controversy over what's behind the alarming rising rates of autism. So why the disconnect? Well, for so many years, you know, so many of the researchers I spoke to said um, the focus has been almost entirely on genetics when it comes to looking at what's going on with these rising autism rates. Um, And it's only really been in, you know, the last 10 years or so that, um, you know, that research is beginning to catch up and really take this environmental side seriously. Um, and one of the reasons is that just alarming rise in numbers um, that, that just simply can't be explained by genetics alone. You know, it's just uh, my the paperback edition of my book came out recently this year, and the numbers had to be updated from the hardcover edition, and already they're outdated again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so because Right. What are, what are the numbers right now? The numbers are, are now 1 in 55 children. Um, and it was 1 in 88, you right. know, I, for, for you know, my, the second edition of the book. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable how rapidly um, this autism rate is increasing. So this is where, you know, just kind of a, a, a red flag that, um, that something else is at play be, besides genetics. Um, and there's other clues um, as to why that is, I mean, such as the fact that in, in identical twins who have, you know, who share genetic makeup, um, you know, it's not in every case that, um, that identical twins both have autism. So 
you know, what's going on? What, what are these other factors at play? So, so everybody suspected mercury for so long. There was a, a lot of focus on that, that thimerosal, I believe it was, was the... In, in, in vaccinations, for. yeah. Uh, you kind of, uh, you're looking at other things besides mercury. Why is that? Well, you know, in, in fact, I do look at mercury quite a bit because that is certainly where a lot of the early focus um, in terms of an environmental connection with autism has been. But the mercury that I look at more particularly is not, um, does not involve vaccines, um, but really from the mercury emissions from coal plants, and mm. which ends up in our, um, in our fish, in our water supply, in our air, in, our, in our, um, the fish that we eat which is the, kind of the primary route of exposure now. Um, and another route of exposure is really from um, dental fillings, which, you know, over time, some of the mercury vapor becomes loose from the dental fillings. So, um, so mercury certainly plays a role in, the, in, the, in this book and, and certainly is one serious, um, you know, toxic toxin that we're all um, exposed to. And the level of uh, mercury in women's bloodstreams has been on the rise, you know, steadily. And it's, it's certainly become um, a health hazard and a health concern. So you're, you're actually talking about mothers who, um, or fathers. Do we know whether mercury, you know, can actually be, uh, be damaging to sperm? You're, you're talking about parents who would have mercury fillings in their mouth or amalgam fillings that contain right. mercury. And I would be talking about mothers specifically. I mean, really, so much of this research is really looking at, you know, the mother's exposure during pregnancy, um, that this is really, for the, by and large, where the exposure to that developing child is coming from and to their developing brain. Um, certainly, there's been other research looking at, you know, the age of fathers in relation to children having autism and, and other issues dealing with fathers. Um, but not so much on the, you know, with these environmental okay. exposures. Okay, so so uh, probably most, yeah, most of the things I'm looking at really probably has to do with, with the mother's exposure during pregnancy. Okay. And you're really looking at a range of environmental type exposures. I mean, you're looking at, at, at all kinds of fire retar flame retardants and other, other things across the board. Right. I mean, there's just so many of these. Um, so many of these chemicals that we're sort of all exposed to and largely that seem to be kind of out of our control. That, that You know, it's, it's just hard to get a handle on um, where they're coming from. But uh, certainly some individuals are more at risk because of their kind of environment. Say people who are living near agricultural fields that are being sprayed with pesticides or people living in urban environments that are um, having to deal with a lot of the, the daily stressors which increases your, your likelihood of being impacted by chemicals. And then on top of that, they have the, the extra pollution coming from nearby power plants or um, highways and polluting highways and that sort of thing. Um, so certain communities are more at risk. And then there's the chemicals that we're all exposed to on a daily basis. There is the bisphenol A that we find in our canned food and on our cash register receipts, um, the flame retardants, as you pointed out, which you know we now know is kind of treating every couch and cushion that we come in contact with, um, yeah. you know, triclosan, yeah. which is in our, our hand soap, um, PCBs, which really, you know, has, has really just polluted the, the world at large um, through kind of the, the dumping of these toxins that have now spread throughout the world and really are, show up in everything. Right. Um, Even though they've been banned, they're still showing up. Exactly, right. They, they, it's called, you know, they bioaccumulate. They, mm -hmm. they build up in the environment, um, in our, 
in our fish, in our animals, in the land, in the air. So, you know, they just, they travel. They're almost impossible to get rid of. So let me just go back one second. I just want to clarify this. A lot of our listeners are, are, are living here in New York City. Uh, and I want to know whether you actually have data on whether or not those urban stressors like vehicular traffic and power plants and so on have actually um, resulted in an increased increased diagnoses of, of autism in children who are living in those areas. Do we have data on that, That's that um, urban children are more vulnerable? Well, I mean, the more buildup of these kind of, the more exposures to toxins, um, so you know, somebody has a lot of research is tying, no, research is looking at, you know, individual toxins. I mean, I can give an example from, from New York City following the, um, the horrible tragedy with the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. They did studies that looked at um, pregnant women who were coming into hospitals in that nearby vicinity and their exposure to flame retardants as a direct result of that attack mm, yeah. um and these were you know in the in their immediate environment and they found a connection between um these the exposure that these women had and the way their children scored on intelligent uh, on intelligence tests um years later so there was a direct correlation um between that exposure and you know their children performing less well on intelligence tests it had had a direct neurological impact mm-hmm. um, on them during pregnancy, on, on, on their children's brain development. And study after study has shown that kind of same impact. So the, the higher the level of um, certain chemical exposures during pregnancy, um, the higher the autism rate, the greater the risk for autism, or the, um, the lower children's score on intelligence and, and social tests uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Green Street on WBAI, and we're talking with Britta Belli, the author of The Autism Puzzle. We were talking with uh, Sheldon Krimsky last week or the week before. You may know him. He's a professor at Tufts University who wrote uh, Hormonal Chaos. And he was. we were talking to him about what I call, for lack of a better word, genetic susceptibility. That is where the, you know genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So you've got you know, two people with the same exposure, but one has a genetic susceptibility. Is that what you're looking at with autism? Because certainly the exposures you're talking about, everybody has those exposures, but only some children have autism. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Genetics still plays an important role in autism cases. Um, You know, you still see a lot of autism running um, from generation to generation and within families. Um, if, If a you know, a couple has one child with autism, it's much more likely that they'll have another child with autism. Mm. And there are a lot of study, you know, there's a very important study right now underway that's looking at specifically families who already have one child to look at, you know, um, what their exposures are. And um, so, so absolutely, there's a genetic, a strong genetic component, but it, that's exactly right that there's a, it's a genetic susceptibility. And are we sort of overloading that um, with these toxic exposures? And are we, um, are, are these toxic exposures giving rise to autism cases where they wouldn't be there otherwise? That also makes me wonder, I mean, we have um, interviewed uh, Sandra Steingraber, who has written several books on the environment and their impact on human health. Uh, and she talks about how, you know, we, we put so much emphasis on genetics, but that you have to understand that not only do we share genes in our families, but we also share our environment. 
So we're drinking the same water, we're, you know, eating the same food, we're breathing the same air, we're lying on the same PBDE, you know, contaminated sofa, and the, you know, the, the new carpet that we just installed in the family room is outgassing formaldehyde You're talking about to within, all of us. Within so, families. Yeah, I'm talking about within families. So maybe, you know, we need to really look at this, this gene thing a little bit more carefully. And, you know, maybe, I don't know whether you know of any research where they've been looking at, you know, not only this idea that, you know, we share genes, but we're also sharing the same environment. Well, I think, I mean, that's certainly why these environmental exposures are getting so much more attention now Mm -hmm. um, than in the past, is that because we're seeing these autism rates climb, and not only just in the U.S., but really around the world um, simultaneously, it certainly seems to be things that everybody's exposed to. So it's sort of looking at, okay, what are these sort of large exposures and exposures that have increased over time? So things like, you know, phthalates um, and vinyl and plastic and bisphenol A. um, And, you know, of course, we've seen these things now being taken out of children's products, you know, sort of um, as as a precautionary measure. And um, so many of these chemicals that I look at in the book and, and I think these other researchers as well, um, are talking about are, are you know these endocrine disrupting hormone disrupting chemicals and many of them have been tied to autism and so they're all acting in the same way which is sort of mimicking hormones in the body or disrupting the body's hormonal system and that really works directly works um, with our with our brain functioning with our neurological makeup so any small change in this um, exposure during those kind of critical moments of development can have major impact. Yeah, and small is right. I mean, (laughs) we're talking about small, and speaking of small, um, you know, you have been talking a lot about nanoparticles um, also, so um, could you comment on this and maybe um, let our audience know a little bit more about um, some of these chemicals and nanoparticles and, you know, how these, you know, are even more of a, a concern well, I didn't, you know, look at this in, in terms of any um, connection with autism, but I did write a piece recently about, you know, nanoparticles in the food supply and just the kind of veil of secrecy over it. Nanoparticles are just extremely tiny, minuscule, microscopic particles that are, you know, tens of thousands of times smaller than the width of a human hair. And they're being added to, to all sorts of products um, for various reasons in the, in the food supply, they're being added to um, in, enhance flavor or coloring or taste um, to improve the, the shelf life of products. But there's no requirement that these appear on the label anywhere. The FDA has, you know, approved them as generally recognized as safe, and it's up to, you know, food manufacturers um, to decide if they want to to let consumers know whether, you know, this is included in products. So many food products have, you know, contain nanoparticles, but we're not really quite sure where. Yeah. Um, yeah. We do know that it's in mostly packaged foods. Um, one of the, the list of products I looked at, it was all these foods that have a white pigment. So it was a lot of like candies and gum and frosting and, um, you know, frosted Pop-Tarts and canned whipped cream frosting and that sort of thing. Dunkin' Donuts, I understand, it had some in their, in their frosting. And, and there was a news article about it the other day. They said they were looking into it. They were unaware. Right, and that's the other issue, is that there, because of this kind of, there's no requirement to disclose it, that in many cases the companies themselves are not even aware, especially when it's in their food packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that of course can migrate into the food supply. So they know that these tiny particles can travel throughout the body, can get into the bloodstream, can go, you know, accumulate in organs, and they're only beginning to do the health studies to look at, well, what kind of impacts could that have? Mm-hmm. Um, 
one of the studies looked at um, the uptake of iron, that it, it could interfere with um, the body's ability to absorb iron. So that was one, um, and this was in, you know, lab animals. Uh, but really, that you know, the health studies are really kind of woefully behind sure. the science. There's a big issue also in yeah. personal care products, I think, um, where you're putting these, uh, you know, like sunscreens, on your, on your skin, and uh, it, they just disappear. Um, because the skin is very, you know, efficient at absorbing things. And so if those, um, those products contain nanoparticles, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of concern there that um, we're not just ingesting them, but that we're also um, getting them directly into our bloodstream. Right, and I think that um, also plays into this idea of, you know, when after the child is born, I mean, during pregnancy, of course, it's so important what we're exposing ourselves to. And I think there's you know, certainly a lot of awareness about that. Don't eat, don't eat tuna. You know, don't use a lot of these beauty products that you know you might use when you're not pregnant. Whether it's painting your nails, et cetera, certain you know lotions and things you might use. But there's all these products again being marketed for babies, and and again, you know that they have such a great sensitivity. Chemicals are going to have a much larger impact on their small developing systems than they would on an adult system. Mm. Um, so, so many of these products that are being marketed for babies and safe and natural and using kind of all these, you know, catch-all terms, um, which aren't really regulated. I think that's, a, you know, it's very important for parents to sort of be aware, looking at, you know, turning those things around, looking at labels. If it contains a lot of these kind of chemical ingredients, um, you know, realizing, you know, that, that simplifying is probably um, in their best interests. I want to go back uh, to uh, to autism for 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 a while. You talked about the fact that this is a worldwide phenomenon that the rates of autism are rising around the world and I wanted to 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 just ask you a little bit about um, diagnosing uh, autism. You know, there's there's been some controversy about whether or not the way we uh, interpret testing and the way we diagnose autism is partly responsible for the for the rise. But you know, we just had that government study that came out the other day that said that uh, over the past four years, that rates of autism had ra- had gone up seventy two percent. That 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 can't be about diagnosis. But I was just wondering if you could just comment on how you see diagnosing autism fitting into this picture of the rising levels. Right. I mean, absolutely, there's there's a greater awareness of the disorder. Um, I think there are more parents going to doctors more, you know, in an earlier stage and seeking diagnosis and, and, and just a greater, you know, worldwide aware, awareness um, overall about it. But researchers I spoke to said it's absolutely not just a case of increased diagnosis. And one of the, the reasons they pointed out was, you know, if that were the case, we'd be seeing a lot of adults stepping forward now saying, oh, I've been misdiagnosed in the past. I clearly have autism. Yeah. Um, I'd like to get services. And they said, we are not seeing that. All we're seeing is an increase in children. I see. Um, so this is clearly something that's new. You know, these are new cases. And, um, and, and there's, you know, and they're, they're meeting this, diag- you know, this criteria. Um, and, it, and it certainly can't be explained by simply, um, you know, increase in diagnosis. And are we seeing the levels rise faster in developed countries than 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 developing countries? Is it? I mean, is it the same? Is it a is it a rising tide lifting all boats, or is it some? Is it more affluent countries with more access to uh, products with chemicals where we're seeing autism rates rise faster? I mean, it's interesting. Um, in certain countries, you're seeing certain immigrant populations that have higher rates of autism than the surrounding communities, and they're still sort of trying to figure out why that is. Um, and, and so there's, you know, whether it's the stress of immigration, um, but it, but it's not necessarily 
something that has to do with with only affluent communities or only affluent areas. Um, this is really uh, a phenomenon where occasionally you see real pockets of autism, but um, it, 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 it's not something that only pertains to, I, I think, affluent groups. And, and there has been some, I feel like, some misinformation about that, where there's, you know, studies that are coming out, you know, that there was a, a study that came out in California that um, not long ago that looked as though the autism cases were all really kind of, con- you know, concentrated in these sort of wealthy, uh, well-to-do towns. And, and certainly that points to people who are better informed, who are seeking services, and who are, who are getting those diagnoses for their kids. But we're also seeing in, you know, minority communities that um, autism rates are on the rise and quite mm-hmm. rapidly on the rise. And there's also been studies showing there's really not, uh, there's been a lot of misdiagnosis in minority communities and, the, and, and not as accurate detection for various reasons, including um, someone's Medicaid status. Mm-hmm. So, so, so do you look then at, at what, what we all share? What is it that we share? What is it that our children share? What is it that pregnant mothers are, are doing the same? I mean, I know that, you know, that's kind of a, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. But it seems like if, if it's widespread among different cultures, different communities, different countries, what what is the common, common thread, the common mm-hmm. denominator? Is, is, are there people looking for that? I mean, there are, but at the same time, this nobody thinks that, you know, one chemical is going to come forward and everyone's going to say, oh, no. that's the one thing right, that's causing Right, right, I understand so, that. Know. But, I mean, are, are they sharing, you know, processed foods? Are they sharing, you know, or is, is it water? Is it widespread water contamination with a particular type of chemical that we find in, you know, not only in agricultural areas, but we're also finding in, in communities where people, you know, have, uh, you know, lawn care services that use the same pesticides and so on, and it's also found in our food supply. Could it be a pesticide? I mean, are these, these obviously, these, you know, these research uh, opportunities are, are there. Yeah, what, what are the, the latest research, um, you know, efforts going on out there? Well, you know, I think one of the, I mean, if we go back to, you know, sort of looking at the human body itself, and when they do testing, they, they do these biomonitoring studies, and they look at, you know, how many contaminants do we contain in our bodies, and they're finding that these numbers, you know, across the board are on the rise, um, that, you know, babies are being born polluted, and I'm sure, you know, you've seen these studies, um, you know, 200 contaminants that babies are born polluted with, um, and these are all sorts of chemicals that we see, you know, industrial chemicals, um, you know, the, so a lot of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals that we're seeing, the flame retardants, the PCBs, um, and, you know, plasticizers. So these things are, you know, we know that mothers are being exposed to these at a higher and higher rate. They're passing them on to their infants. And so this is really where it, it's really a combination. It's all of these various chemicals. And, yes, pesticides are in there. Um, and this is just kind of what it is to live in our industrial society today. I mean, to, you know, all of these, you know, contaminants and pollutants are out there, um, and, and, and they've been on the rise. I mean, with all the, you know, all the various products that we use today, mm. um, all of the waste that has accumulated, all of the pollution. So it, it's really a combination of all of these things. Um, that have built up in our bodies. You're listening to Green Street on WBAI, and we're talking with Britta Belli, the author of The Autism Puzzle. In a lot of the issues we look at, there's an industry that's that's kind of sitting in the way of um, of real, you know, open scientific research and, and, and dialogue. 
Is there a is there a group or is there somebody that's that's presenting a roadblock to to research on autism? And then I want to ask, how is the how do you how would what grade would you give the government in its efforts to uh, to work on this? Are they looking where they should be looking? In your opinion? Well, you know, I think the research is is um, picking up speed in this area. So, I mean, that's really important. I mean, we're we're drawing those connections. Certainly, as the information becomes available, you see um, certain segments of of industry responding um, appropriately, which is, you know, the, the voluntary recalls of you know of children's products that contain BPAs and, and stores like you know Walmart and and other large retailers saying we're not going to carry baby or children's products that contain bisphenol A or that contain phthalates. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you are seeing that you're seeing states take action on a lot of these chemicals on a one-by-one -one basis as more information becomes available to, the, you know, their dangers to children's health. Um, on the federal level, it's really been extremely slow to act, and, and I think, uh, you know, really to our detriment because you're seeing um, legislation is going to, into effect um, in Europe as they have the REACH Act, which um, really... Yeah. Yeah. started in 2007, really setting really, you know, strict guidelines for chemicals um, and demanding, you know, much higher standards. And we have very similar legislation here, the Safe Chemicals Act, that has just been reintroduced year after year and made no progress. And yeah, the chemical companies hate that. They hate that reach, that REACH program. They really, they really don't like that at all, and I understand why. Yeah, we're, we're losing our, we're losing um, Frank Lautenberg, who is retiring from the Senate, um, who actually introduced that Safe Chemicals Act. Um, do you know who it is who is um, taking up the, uh, the lead on this? You know, I don't. Um, I know that, you know, sort of the last news that was really had come out about it was that it had passed committee, you know, last summer, I believe. Mm -hmm. And we haven't heard about it since. Um, and there are, of course, so many, you know, consumer health groups and environmental groups that have, I mean, are just keep pushing for this, you know, mm -hmm. to, to really make sure. some headway. And it, and it just hasn't. Um, there's always, you know, other topics that Congress is, you know, dealing with. Um, right, and, there, and there's always a lobbyist lurking behind the corner that sure. is uh, having his, uh, his influence on these, uh, on these leg legislators. Right, but, you know, in, in many cases, you know, and I think it's always being sold to us as though this is going to be, present some huge economic hardship if we're to pass legislation mm. like this, but the reality is companies already have to change um, their manufacturing process to deal with Europe's legislation. That's right. Um, you know, European companies are going to have to come out with, you know, or to sell to Europe, we're going to have to come out with other, you know, greener chemicals, safer chemicals. So why not, you know, just kind of start that economic process now um, and start that transition and, and really you're really sort of opening up new economic opportunities for new companies to come forward. And if you want to talk about cost, what about the cost to those families? I mean, the, 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 the cost of dealing with a, a child with autism has got to be, you know, if you looked at this in term of, terms of its economic impact, those costs are off the chart. It, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, something I point out in the book, um, because they do get into a bit about, um, you know, some of the racial disparity we see with, you know, with autism and, and, and some of that misdiagnosis issue, in, in particularly in black communities. But part of that has to do, you know, with that sort of that bias because of the cost. I mean, once a child is deemed autistic, I mean, there are, you know, you know, certainly they, they're covered um, in terms of services that need to be pr provided by the city, by the schools. So it's, it's a huge um, undertaking for, you know, and, and a huge 
economic burden, certainly. Right. In in the book, um, Britta, you tell the story of three families uh, that have autistic children. Um, so tell us a little bit about them and why you actually chose those particular families to write about. Well, you know, and I wanted to choose families that um, kind of came from different backgrounds um, and, and who had different beliefs when it came to the the role of toxins um, in terms of their children's autism, um, but yet who lived in areas that, that maybe had, you know, a high pollution factor. Um, so uh, one of those families um, is from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I'm, you know, not far from where I live, actually, um, but it's... Uh, you know, it's an inner city, very high minority population, a lot of um, power plants, including factories um, in, in, that, in that city. And, and she has uh, one child with autism and one without, one boy. Um, they're the Schultz family. They are from Wisconsin. They live not far from a coal-powered, um, a coal-fired power plant. And yet she was, this mom who, her, her youngest of five has, um, has autism, um, kind of adamantly believed, you know, thought that it really had nothing to do with the, with the coal emissions, despite the fact that this coal plant that, that they're near is, has been cited several times by, you know, the EPA is, you know, really, um, you know, leaves a film on the windows and that, mm. that kind of thing. I mean, it's really mm. quite a um, polluting plant. And yeah. um, the third family is from uh, Brick Township, New Jersey, and they have two children with severe autism, um, the Gallagher family, and they uh, strongly believe that it is um, their contaminated water supply that led to their children's autism. Well, New Jersey kind of has a reputation. They don't, d- doesn't New Jersey have more autistic children than any other state in the in the union? Yes, um, they do, and and yet, <laughs> you know, that was pre these new numbers. So I, I think it was. At one point, they had something. I want to say it was like one in ninety or something, which was, I mean, considered extremely high, um, or one in ninety-four. And now, I mean, that yeah, that, that would no longer even register. I mean, now the the national numbers are one in fifty-five. So it, yeah. Yeah. Let me just ask you that the national numbers—that's overall. And what is it for males? Don't males actually suffer from this more um, more frequently than than females? Right. It's 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 like a four to one ratio, uh-huh. boys to girls. Um, so yeah, I mean it's really. Uh... Oh, and I'm sorry. And it's one in fifty. I'm sorry. I've been saying one in fifty-five. It was one in eighty-eight, and now it's one in fifty. Okay. So um, let me let me just talk to you a little bit about the autism clusters. Uh, I know the, you know these areas that have higher rates of of autism. Where are we finding those clusters, and what do you think is responsible for them? You know, as I was writing this, to be honest, there weren't um, there were people who suspected clusters, but when the government would go in and do their um, research and reporting, there yeah, it was we within... really don't have a lot of established autism clusters, to be honest. Um, okay. they, the only one that really comes to mind is that that California study where they found that it, these clusters, you know, quote unquote, existed in these sort of wealthy communities. I thought, um, I, thought I, I thought I heard that Brick Township had a, a higher number of cases than usual, or maybe I was just reading about the, the general pollution area around Brick Township. No, she, I mean, absolutely that, okay, so in Brick Township, it was never a confirmed autism cluster, okay. um, but sh- there were what was considered a slightly higher than average number um, of children with autism living in that in that community, and and certainly the mom who I spoke to, um, Bobby Gallagher, you know, 
felt very strongly that, I mean, so many families within her immediate vicinity were coming to autism groups. They all had kids about the same age. I mean, that's what first alerted her to, wow, something is going on here. I mean, um, she has two children with very severe autism um, that are, you know, just a little over a year apart. So she was sort of completely inundated with dealing with, with their needs um, and, and came, started going to these groups and, and never really intended to become political about it, um, but really was just alarmed. You know, she saw that her, you know, so many of her neighbors had children with autism as well. So she felt strongly there was um, a cluster that something was going on. And they had, um, you know, several gov- government agencies that came, did, did some evaluation, did not, they did not do any testing in the people's homes. Um, they did not test the water supply. They relied on data from the water treatment company itself. So they really, you know, so in the end they deemed it inconclusive and mm. pretty much that's what, what kind of consistently happens when government agencies kind of come in. Um, they, they, inconclusive is, is, is tends to be the, yeah. um, the diagnosis. So, so she really didn't get any satisfactory answers. But yep. later on, you know, researchers have looked at that, um, the contaminants that, that were in their water supply and preliminary um, research has shown that it looks like it could cause autism-like impacts. Never, you know, n- notwithstanding the government's assurances, the fact of the matter is that New Jersey has more Superfund sites, I think, than any other state in the country. And, uh, and, right. also, and also the highest uh, autism rates. I mean, uh, you call it coincidence, but what you seem to be saying in your book is that, you know, these, this, this panoply of environmental exposures that we have uh, certainly should be, should be considered as one of, the, uh, one of the possible causes of this disease. Right. And I mean, it, it's so difficult for people who are living in a certain area. I mean, here, you know, this is where they've made their lives. This is where their homes are. They don't want to be sort of branded as, you know, we've got this cluster, whether it's a disease cluster or an autism cluster. Um, they don't necessarily want to attract a lot of people from outside. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of negative attention. And yes. I think that's what came up. And that was something that this mom said to me. She's like, I never even thought about that. She's like, I just wanted to get help I, mm-hmm. for my kids. And I wanted to meet other families and be accepted and, and find support services. And she's like, it never occurred to me that this would all be become, you know, this would all be about people's property values. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So interesting yeah. that so many of the people that you talk to are, are, are you know, about their children are the, are the mothers and, and not so much the fathers. Um, did you find that in your research um, in the book that you did, um, that, you know, that you were really dealing primarily with, um, with the women and with the mothers? Uh, overwhelmingly so, yes. Um, I would say, you know, by and large, um, so many of the moms of these children with autism are just tireless advocates for their kids and for seeking answers and for, you know, setting up support groups and reaching out to other families. And I mean, just really, I mean, they've made this their lives work. I know some of them have also talked to me about how divisive having a child with autism is to couples, to, you know, to marriages. Sure. I mean, this is, this puts a lot of strain on families. So, um, you know, in some cases, you know, I think they're going out and kind of, this has become their life's work and this has become their passion and, you know, maybe alienating, you know, um, their spouse along the way. In other cases, I mean, certainly it's a, it's a family effort. I just happen to have talked to the mom. Sure. Um, yeah, I will say a word for my sex. There are, there are a number of men who have, are leading the charge here in, in yes, some cases. Are. So, uh, Autism Speaks is actually run, I think, by a, a, a father whose, whose yeah. son is autistic. Peter Bell. He was on um, our show. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in getting some kind of a, a, a wrap-up from you, so to speak, about this, because 
I am, uh, you know, I am always, you know, working on issues of environmental contamination and, you know, different chemicals and their links to different diseases and so on. Is it possible that you could, you know, just talk about um, or just give us a, a, a short list of the chemicals that show that they that there is a uh, an incre- increased incidence where there is exposure. Um, I know we don't have anything definitive because that would be um, you know that would be on the front page of the New York Times. But um, uh, when we're talking about taking the precautionary approach to this, um, if parents right. knew that there were some things in their environment that that have some links that have shown some association with a higher incidence. What would those be? Um, certainly, mercury w- would be one. I mean, so we're seeing that uh, largely in the you know in the fish supply, uh, mm-hmm. mostly in, in larger fish like tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got flame retardants that are in. They can be in crib mattresses. They can be in couches. Um, phthalates, which are fi- found in like vinyl flooring, mm-hmm. also in like hairspray, nail polish, um, children's toys. Got bisphenol A, BPA, which is in canned food primarily, and um, also cash register receipts. We have <laughs> triclosan <laughs> in, you know, hand soap, toothpaste, um, and then pesticides, which can be in our fruits and vegetables. You know, so obviously looking for organic um, produce wherever possible is is a great choice to avoid those pesticides. Um, you know, golf courses are, are also treated with um, pretty strong pesticides. So, you know, that's another thing, uh, another place exposure could happen. Um, and, you know, there are PCBs as well, which, as I said, are, you know, can kind of show up anywhere. So I think are, are hard to avoid. Um, there are practical steps people can take. They can go to, um, you know, the websites of some of these groups that are fighting these issues for some really practical ideas um, that involve things like, you know, don't microwave in plastic so that you're not leaching chemicals into your food. Um, you know, try to choose other options beyond canned food um, to avoid bisphenol A. And certainly there's certain types of canned food that, that are um, like acidic foods, like, you know, tomato-based foods that are, that are more likely to have higher levels of BPA. Um, you know, really looking for chemical-free um, things like crib mattresses, things that haven't been treated with flame retardants, uh, and, and more and more you can find these companies and can find these options. So, you know, reducing your chemical load wherever possible um, is a really, or, you know, those are some really practical things people can do, and there are absolutely easy places online to find, you know, Healthy Child, Healthy World, for instance, um, Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families is another group um, where you can kind of stay up to date on these issues and get practical advice. That's um, that's useful. Yeah, and that's good, great. Good to know. So April is uh, April is Autism Awareness Month. Are you optimistic that people are getting good information about the potential causes of autism, or are you uh, are you concerned that they're that they that they may not be getting the right information? I feel like the the connection here is still um, you know still not really out there. I, I think this is still new information for a lot of people, um, but I think people are really open to hearing about it. There's a lot of curiosity and a lot of interest. But, um, you know, as I said, the research is fairly new. There, You pointed out there hasn't been a ton of media coverage of these various studies. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, until something kind of 
larger comes along. Um, there's the National Children's Study, for instance, that's underway and that has an autism component. They're looking at exposures. They're, they're hoping to um, to study 100,000 children. They're only up to about 2,000 right now. So this is a very long-term study. But they're studying them from birth to age 21, and they're looking at all sorts of household exposures. They're taking all sorts of samples, bodily fluids, etc. Um, and that, I think, will turn up the kind of big answers that everybody's looking for. You're listening to Green Street, and our guest has been Britta Belli, award-winning journalist, editor of E! The Environmental Magazine, and author of The Autism Puzzle. That's it for this edition of Green Street. Thanks for listening. Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at GrassrootsENVED.